You know, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. You know, I wanted to give you a quick update. Um, we had a super great time last week. Uh, we had a good brisket lunch, and uh, we had a, a great time buying desserts at our dessert auction. And um, I just wanted to let you know that last week we raised uh, over six thousand uh, dollars for for missions and um, for sending our people on mission trips. And so what a blessing it is to be a part of a family that sends people out. And, um, you know, I, I'm just so blessed just to, to watch as you all go out into the world and make disciples of all the nations. I mean, what a blessing it is as we do that together. Um, this morning, I'm going to wrap up our One Another series. And uh, uh, this morning is probably a, a hard one for each one of us. Uh, it's Forgive One Another. And um, it's, sometimes it's hard for us to forgive uh, other folks. And, and um, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians. And then it didn't start out as a um, Bible drill, but it may end up as a Bible drill. Um, but we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And if you have your scripture and would uh, turn there with me. Um, you know, it's interesting when we talk about forgiveness because it's so hard for us. And... Um, Let's read what uh, the Apostle Paul said in verse 32 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. He writes this, he says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Loving Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that you would just open our hearts and minds and Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who gave his life so that, that we could be made right with you. And Father, that, that you love us so very, very much. And um, Father, I pray that you would just impress that upon us this morning, just how much you love us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, guide us into all truth and uh, convict us of truth. Father, we love you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, on this, on this topic of forgiveness, why does it seem like it is so hard for, for us to forgive one another? You know, it's, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you why, is because we like to keep score. We like to keep score as to who has offended us, who has hurt us. And I want to just tell you, it's human nature. It's human nature to keep score. It's, it's human nature, um, and, and, and that's why we have to be told or taught that we need to forgive one another, because you don't, you don't have to tell little kids that they, you know, need to, you know, that they can forgive one another. They don't have a clue. They're just, you took what's mine, so I'm going to be mad at you until I don't remember it anymore. But the problem is, is we don't forget. We just keep remembering. And so diving right in, I just want to start off with maybe what, what Jesus said about forgiveness and what he taught about it. And in that, I'm going to go over to Matthew chapter 18 and uh, look at a little bit there. And this is what Jesus said. It says, then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? I'm sure Peter was feeling pretty generous when he said seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you 
up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. I mean, Jesus isn't just telling us to forgive our brothers 490 times. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that we should forgive them 70 times or even 77 times. The name 70 times 7 is synonymous with God's eternal forgiveness. It's unlimited. It's it's. And that's really what is significant about this is is God's eternal forgiveness is unlimited. And and the the blood that that flowed from from Christ's veins on the cross is as fresh today as it was 2,000 years ago for cleansing us from our sin. And you know, he's telling us that we should always forgive our brothers and sisters whenever they have sinned against us. Whenever. And then he goes on in chapter 18 and he tells a parable. And I'm just going to paraphrase that. You'll get the Adam's paraphrase on that. But it says there was a king and, and, and he was calling his servants to come and he wanted them to, to, he was collecting his debts. And so he called his servant to him and he called one that owed him a lot of money. It says 10 talents. Okay, which I mean, we might as well say, you know, it's ten million dollars. Okay, and and really, the, the the servant had no way of paying it, and if he couldn't pay it, they would put him in in prison or or sell his wife and children and family in order to pay the debt. Okay, and and, and he he pleaded with the king. He was like, hey, I I can't pay this, but if you give me time, I'll I'll do it. I'll I'll work an extra job. I'll figure out how I can pay this back, and so. The king had mercy on him. So this servant went out and he found somebody that owed him a hundred denarii. You know, he owed him some money, a few bucks, maybe a hundred bucks. Okay. And so then he starts choking him and he says, you pay me what you owe me. And other people were seeing this and they said, man, this guy was forgiven a whole bunch of debt. And now he's really making this guy pay. And so they told the Lord about it, the the king, and he brought him back in and he said, look, I was really kind to you. I was really merciful to you. And he said, I forgave you. I, I, I allowed you to go free. And you're out here choking this guy over a hundred bucks. And so this is what he says. He says, his Lord was moved with anger and handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. And then verse 35 is the one that really sends shivers through my spine. Because Jesus said, my heavenly father will also do the same to you. If each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. We're pretty good at putting on masks. We're pretty good at acting like things don't bother us. But deep down, we get offended and we hang on to it. And and, and really, you know, this this is so important because this is how my heavenly father will treat me if I don't forgive my brother who has sinned against me. And so here's the problem of not forgiving. You know, Matthew 
excuse me, Mark chapter 11, verse 25. (laughs) Jesus said, whenever you stand praying, maybe when you're (laughs) in the worship service, whenever you stand praying, If you have anything against anyone, he said, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. He said it twice there in two different gospels. That if we don't forgive our brother or sister, then we're not going to be forgiven in heaven. See, as strange as it may sound, there is such a thing as what I want to call an unforgiven Christian. And I'm not talking about their eternal destiny, okay? An unforgiven Christian. To be unforgiven in this sense means that the channel of God's grace, okay, is blocked on my end. Okay, it means that that God's grace cannot come to me because I've blocked it on my end. I have an unforgiven spirit, okay? I'm, I'm not being able to forgive. In particular, it means that you have chosen to hang on to your bitterness and to forfeit your daily walk with the Lord. In other words, that offense... That lack of forgiveness is standing between you and your relationship to God. See, you'd rather be angry than joyful. You've chosen resentment over peace. And your grudges have become more important to you than the daily blessing of Almighty God. You would rather live with these hidden torturers Then the experience of freedom, of forgiveness. And so in that, you remain unforgiven because you're hanging on to something. An anger, a bitterness, a wrong done to you. And what happens when we refuse to forgive others? This is what happens. Here's some consequences of an unforgiving spirit. Our fellowship with God is blocked, number one. When we hang on to something and we're just not going to turn it loose, we're not going to forgive them. I've heard people say, I could never forgive them. You know what? You've just created a prison for yourself because you will not know the freedom of forgiveness. You will not know the freedom of God's blessings pouring to you. See, our fellowship with God is blocked. The Holy Spirit is grieved. You live without joy. Your prayers will not be answered. God leaves you alone in the face of your problems to face them on your own. The devil also gains a foothold. He gains a foothold through your bitterness. And then you begin to view God as as being the enemy, like he's angry with you. And you lose the blessing of God on your life and you waste your time (laughs) nursing a wounded spirit. You become bound to the people you won't forgive and you become more like the people that you refuse to forgive. Folks, this is how it works. And we wonder why there's no victory in our life. We wonder why things are as they are. Part of it is because we're not willing to forgive another one, someone else that did something to us. And see, forgiving is always possible. 
We can always forgive because God never demands anything from us that is impossible for us. Forgiving one another. (laughs) See, the greatest example of one who forgives is God himself. I mean, the basis of his forgiveness is the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He, 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 he went, he, he bled, he died, and, and we are the unworthy objects of that. We didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve it. We got the grace. He suffered and died. He got the punishment. He took your punishment. He took my punishment. But we are the unworthy objects of that great love. See, God could not forgive sin without proper satisfaction being made. In his love, he provided the satisfaction which, is, which his righteousness demanded. And in Christ, that is in his person and in his work, God provided a righteous basis for which he could forgive us. Maintaining his righteousness and allowing us to be forgiven so that we could be reconciled to him. See, since he forgave us when we were in debt, let's say millions of dollars, we ought to forgive one another when they owe us a few bucks. And see, this is, this is the hard part. And listen, the, the, the moment that someone wrongs me, I have to forgive them. I must forgive them. Because then my soul is free. Because if I hold on to that wrong that was done to me, if I nurse that, I sin against God. And I sin against that person. And I jeopardize my forgiveness with God. I don't think we get that. I don't think we understand that. See, whether they repent, whether they make amends, whether they say they're sorry, whether they apologize, whether they ask for a pardon or not, it makes no difference. They must face God for the wrong that they did. And the outcome doesn't matter, but I, I have to forgive them. And, you know, it's, there were some missionaries, they were, they were in northern Alaska, and they were translating the Bible into the language of the Eskimos. And, and they discovered there's no word in that language for forgiveness. And so after much patient listening... And trying to hear these words and they they discovered that a word that means not being able to think about it anymore. Okay, there was one word for that, not being able to think about it anymore. And that word was used throughout the translation to represent forgiveness. Because God's promise to repentant sinners, according to Jeremiah 31, 34 says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember No longer. See, God has provided a process to lead us into forgiving really anyone. See, biblical forgiving includes refusing to continue to blame. You cannot keep bringing it up. You cannot continue to blame that other person if you're practicing biblical forgiveness. And it means restoring the relationship. 
Okay, we, we have no problem saying, you just stay away from me and I'll stay away from you, but I haven't forgiven you. And what biblical forgiveness includes is actually restoring the relationship with that person, of making it what it needs to be. And that is so hard for us to do. We live in a throwaway society where we throw lots of stuff away and we throw relationships away just as quickly as we throw away yesterday's milk carton. You know it and I know it. And people are just like, well, I'm done with them. And they throw it away. And and, and the problem is, is when we do that, we are jeopardizing our own forgiveness from God. This is important stuff. Because if you really want to be obedient to the command to forgive, I want you to consider someone in the Bible, Jacob's brother, Esau. I mean, short of, of Christ, short of Jesus, and possibly Joseph, there's no character in the Bible that seems to have forgiven more or better. You remember Jacob and Esau. They were, they were twins. They came out. Esau was the older one. He was due the blessing. And what happened was Isaac was schemed into giving the blessing to Jacob rather than Esau because he sold his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. Okay? So all these years, they've been estranged. They, they departed, and, and the last thing that, that Jacob knew was Esau was very upset with him. And, and, and all this time, he's been thinking about that. It's been building. And so we, we look at this, and I, I want to read out of Genesis 33. I want to read a few verses here, and then we'll talk about it. But Genesis 33, beginning in verse 1, says, Then Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming. Now, he had sent some gifts in, in the, the previous chapter to him, like on the front end, to make sure that he was going to be okay. But he, he sent some gifts to him. And they were quite a bit. I mean, if you look in verse 14, it says 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. So he sent him a bunch of livestock as a peace offering on the front end. And so now it says, Jacob lifted his eyes and looked and behold, Esau was coming 400 men with him. Usually when they travel with 400 men, they're up to something. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and his two maids, and he put the maids and their children in front, and Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. But he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Verse 4, then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. He lifted his eyes and saw the women and children and said, who are these with you? And he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids came near him with their children. They bowed down. Likewise, Leah came near uh, with her children and they bowed down. And afterwards, Joseph came with, with Rachel and they bowed down. And he said, what do you mean by all this company which, you have, which I have met? And he said, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. Verse 9, but Esau said, 
I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. Jacob said, no, please. If now I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand. For I see your face as one sees the face of God. And you have received me favorably. Please take my gift which has been brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have plenty. Thus he urged him and he took it. What I wanted to point out in this is you see someone who is not part of God's chosen people who actually exhibits more grace and more forgiveness than God's chosen people. You see this in Esau. And, and what I want, I want you to see is that there must be a decision to forgive. He knew when he was a long way off that he wasn't going to hold the grudge. He had probably let it go years and years before that. And when his brother came offering gifts, wanting to reconcile, he, his heart was already ready. And, and, you know, you think about that, but we have to make this decision to forgive. It doesn't matter if we feel the forgiveness. We're such a touchy-feely kind of society, but feelings of forgiveness may or may not follow. But that decision has to be made that we will decide to forgive. And I think that's, that's huge because in verse 4 of that chapter, I want to read that again, verse 4. It says, then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. You know, it reminds me of Philippians 2 where Paul writes this. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. I mean, even as he was being crucified, he said, father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Have this attitude that is in you. You know, Chuck Swindoll, he said this, these insightful words about attitude. He said, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of my attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past. It's more important than education. It's more important than money, circumstances, failures, successes. It's more important than, than what other people say, think, or do. It's more important than appearance. It's more important than giftedness. It's more important than skill. It will make or break a company. It will make or break a church. It will make or break a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude that we will embrace. You can't change your past and neither can I. We cannot change the fact that some people will act towards us in a certain way. We can't change that. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play the one string that we have. And that is our attitude. There has to be this decision, an attitude, if you will, of forgiveness Okay, the decision has to be made. But there must also be a daily commitment to forget. I mean, Esau 
he refused to dwell on the past. He refused to dwell on past hurts. And you know, when you're thinking about grudges, sometimes we hold grudges against people and, and some of those go on for many years. And, and based on Leviticus 19, verse 18, this is what God's word says. It says, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. For you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I mean, based on that verse, in which God's word alludes to the importance here of forgiveness, I mean, how searching that must be on our soul. Forgiveness, my forgiveness of my brother is to be complete. No moodiness is to remain, no uncooperative spirit, no, no temper, which so easily turns into thunder and lightning, you know? I mean, we get all wrapped up in that and, and we, we say, well, I'm going to forgive them, but I'm not going to like them. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, do what I can do against them and short them and do this. And see, when I forgive, I cannot carry any powder forward on my journey. I have to empty out all of my explosives. I have to get rid of all my weapons, my bullets, my ammunition from my anger and my revenge. And I'm not to bear any grudge. Folks, I can't meet that demand. I can't meet that demand in this flesh that I live in. It's completely beyond me. I might mumble words about forgiveness, but I cannot reveal a clear, bright blue sky with no touch of storm ever brewing. But the Lord of all grace can do it in me. He can do it in me. He can do it through me. He can change my weather. He can create, he can renew in me a right spirit. And in that holy atmosphere, nothing will live that seeks to poison or destroy. I would say also that there must be a partnership established. If you're going to forgive someone, then that relationship needs to be renewed. It needs to be uh, in, in good, good working order. And I want to call it a partnership needs to be established. In verse 10, verse 10 of Genesis 33, it says, And Jacob said, No, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand, for I see your face as one sees the face of God. Jacob was the one who did the offending. Jacob was the one who stole his birthright, who, who schemed and waited until he came in from the, 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 the woods and was hungry. And so then he, he had a bowl of soup going. And so he sold his birthright for a mere bowl of soup, something to eat. And you see, Jacob was the one who offended. But Jacob is the one that said, I see in your face the face of God. It's like I'm looking upon the face of God because you've already forgiven me. Just like God has forgiven me. Now, right previous to this incident, <laughs> Jacob wrestled with God. And he walked away with a limp. 
See, I think sometimes we need to walk with a limp. Maybe we haven't spent time with God. Maybe we haven't spent time with God and so we don't recognize when someone offers us the forgiveness that we so desperately need. See, it is hard for us to realize with all the bad that we've done, with all the things, we know where we've been. We know the attitudes that we've had. We know how we've sinned against others and against God. And it is hard for us to realize that God loves us. It's easier if we just hold that distance and hold that line and say, you know what? I don't think he could ever love me. I don't think he could ever forgive me for what I did. But you know what? There is nothing that you could do that God could not forgive. Save rejecting his son's sacrifice on the cross. I love this because there has to be a partnership established. And, And our real problem is not a point to be made theologically. You see, our real problem is personal because we don't see ourselves as very great sinners. So we don't appreciate how greatly God has forgiven us. See, when you see your own sins and they seem so small, the sins of others against you seem really big. But the reverse of that is also true. The greater you see the depth of your sin before a holy God, the less the sins of other people that that have sinned against you will bother you. Because you realize, oh, I am, I am, I am such that I'm the chief of sinners. I have done so many things against God and against others. You know what, what they said to me, what they did to me is not that big a deal because I know where I'm at. See, don't talk about repentance unless you are willing to forgive your brothers and sisters, unless you're willing to forgive your repentance is really just hot air and empty talking. Because true repentance always starts with a change of mind that leads to a change of heart, that leads to a change in the way that we view those who have sinned against us. So how do we know if we are truly forgiving? How do we know that we have truly forgiven someone? What does that look like? I mean, the answer may vary depending on the person involved and and what they did. But we know that we've forgiven them when we face what they did and we forgive them anyway. We know that we've forgiven them when we don't keep bringing it up to them. Oh, that's a, that's the common theme. You know, we like to keep rubbing their face in it, what they did to us. We know that we've forgiven them when we don't talk about it to other people. We know we've forgiven them when we show mercy instead of judgment, when we refuse to speak evil of them, when we choose not to dwell on it, when we start praying for them. Instead, we know that we have forgiven them. When we ask God to bless them, when we don't rejoice any longer over their calamities, but we actually help them whenever we can. See, that's forgiveness. And when genuine forgiveness is extended, 
God is made real to other people. Look at the power of forgiveness. I mean, do you realize that a life filled with anger can end up being a church full of angry people? And folks, that is a pain to the Holy Spirit. I mean, he will not work. He cannot, indeed, he he cannot work for he abides by his own laws. You know, I remember there was a time when my own unforgiving spirit was in the way of my walk with the Lord. I mean, my prayers didn't seem like they were getting answered. Matter of fact, I didn't even want to spend time with God. I didn't want to meet with him. I was so angry and and just hanging on to this. And, And when the Holy Spirit pointed it out to me, you know, he has a way of taking us to the woodshed sometimes. And when he came over me, I, I felt like I was this tall for, for hanging on to this. But what happens is my heart melted. And then once I forgave the person who offended me, I began to experience tremendous freedom. The joy returned. Once again, the Holy Spirit could abide and work in my life. And as we hang on to bitterness, as we hang on to our anger, our unforgiving spirit, we prevent the Holy Spirit from working. See, we have to deal with our anger and our unforgiveness for the sake of our own souls but also for the sake of other souls and for the life of the church, his body. You know, as I wrap this up, I'm going to go ahead and invite our worship team to come back up. But Jesus is telling us that there is a vital link. There is a vital connection between the way that you treat other people And the way that God in heaven is going to treat you. The way that we treat other people and the way that God in heaven treats us are linked together. And you know what? We don't like that. We don't like that it's that it's connected with the way God is going to treat us. Because on one level, we think that we we tend to think that it it would be good if (laughs) if we could hate someone for what they did to us and still have the blessing of God. Oh, wouldn't that be grand? We can live how we want and, and, and still have the blessing of God. We could still be filled with the spirit. We could still walk in joy every day and still radiate the love of Jesus and still have our answers, pray, uh, our, the, our, the answer to our prayers. And, and, you know, we would really like it if we could just have our relationship with God insulated and encapsulated so that we could treat other people any way that we wanted to treat them. But Jesus said, no deal. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. He said, unless you forgive, you will not be 
forgiven. Folks, it's a hard word. It's a hard word. But it's a hard word of grace. Because he cares about how we treat each other. He wants us walking in love, even as Christ loves us and loved the church. So many of us probably desperately need to take a searching moral inventory and ask ourselves some serious questions. You know, am I up to date on my forgiving? Am I up to date on that? Am I holding a grudge against anyone? Do you realize that in holding a grudge against somebody, you may be preventing revival from breaking out right here? See, our unforgiving spirit can affect what we do as a corporate body. We don't sin in isolation. We sin in community. And what happens is, is when we won't forgive, maybe we're preventing the Holy Spirit from working right here. Am I holding a grudge against anyone? Do I harbor any bitterness against someone? Am I talking too much about what others have done to me? Have I forgiven those closest to me who have hurt me so deeply? See, someone says, but I can't forgive. Don't ever say that. The, the word can't is a cop-out. The issue is deeper than that. It's not that you can't forgive, it's that you won't forgive. Don't make excuses. Don't play games. Because unresolved hurts from unforgiveness are signs of spiritual sickness. But the good news is that for all who will make the decision to forgive, there is a physician that can heal that. And his name is Jesus. See, this is one cross you were never meant to carry. He says, by this, they will, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Forgive one another. Be an Esau. Forgive. And show someone else the face of God. Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And Father, your word is true.